Hello and welcome to Pure Worship Radio. This is Scott Cunningham and I'll be your host as we highlight and interview various worship leaders and artists who love Jesus and are writing songs that both edify the church and glorify Christ. Our mission is to capture the story behind the songs and the heart behind the music. So thanks for joining us today. We pray that you're greatly encouraged by our time of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that help make melody in our heart to the Lord. And today, so excited to have with us pastor of Worship Generation, Joey Baran. And we're going to be recounting some history of what the Lord's done in and through Worship Generation over the years. And so today, we're going to start off with a couple of the artists that began early on with Worship Generation. And I know you're going to be encouraged by what you hear. Thirsty soul, 
That was music from Worship Generation, a ministry that started here at Calvary Chapel over the years, led by Pastor Joey Baran. And today we're so excited to have him in studio with us. And Joey, thanks for coming today. What a blessing to have you part of it. Scott, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, there's so much to talk about. We want to talk about really the history of Worship Generation, where it began, and so many of those artists that were involved in that ministry over the years. But before we do that, let's, let's just begin with your personal testimony, how you came to know the Lord, and where that all began for you. Well, I'm 53, so that's where it starts, going backwards from 53. I was raised in a Catholic home, going to church, catechism, things like that. So I always believed in God. I just didn't understand the concept of a relationship through faith in Christ. And so um, in my teen years, I rebelled against the Catholic Church, or really God, going to church and wanting to serve Him. But I I knew I was accountable to Him in all the things I ever did. I always believed I was going to give an account to God. And eventually... um, I went on to become a very successful pro surfer, as you you would know. From 1978 to 1985, I had a very successful pro career. And I was on the front end of pro surfing. So uh, I was known as a California kid and made good money for that time. I won the Pipe Masters, which is the most prestigious event in surfing. Eventually, Mm. ended up in the Hall of Fame, you know, Mm. 30 pro finals, 15 wins, things like that. So I had a very good career. And it was during that time of my career that the Lord was really revealing himself to me, tugging on my heart. Different people shared Christ with me in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so by 1987, on the back end of my career, I came to a place where I gave my life to Christ. And I understood the relationship. I was listening to K-Wave. I was listening to Raul Reese and Manna for Today, Brian Broderson and Pastor Chuck. And it was the 80s, you know. And uh, (laughs) But... I knew I was born again, and I knew I'd been born of the Spirit because my my whole life just completely changed. My whole purpose of my life, everything completely changed. So that was the spring of 1987. I purposed to make myself available to the Lord and the things that He had for me. I was still in pro surfing at the time. He closed that door by the end of the year and made clear that He wanted me to go into ministry. Mm-hmm. And I had been going to Calvary Chapel, but then I met Brian Broderson in the water surfing one day in Carlsbad in the later part of the summer of 87. Hmm. And he invited me to come by the church. I came by, we hung out, and we became good friends and have been great friends ever since. And Brian actually really discipled me in the faith. And it was Brian that asked me to come on staff at Calvary Chapel Vista in the latter part of 1987. So that began my now over 25 years of ministry service as a pastor in the Calvary Chapel movement. And so briefly, I can tell you, I was at Calvary Vista three years with Brian, where I oversaw the drug and alcohol ministry, recovery mm. ministry, yeah. and was involved in all types of ministries, what you would expect in a church of 2000 at that time. Yeah. Then my wife and I, Jennifer, went to Virginia with our newly born daughter, Hannah, at the time, and we planted the Calvary Chapel there in Virginia Beach, which I pastored for four years. And during that time, Tony Clark came back to Newport News. Troy Warner came back to Lynchburg. If you know your Calvary history, you know these names. Yes. And then God opened the door to go to Vermont. So after Leah was born in Virginia, our second child, then Timmy was born in Virginia, our third child, we moved to Burlington, Vermont, where we planted and I pastored Calvary Chapel Burlington for about a year and a quarter, uh, 95, 96. God 
called us on from there. We came back to California. So I reconnected with Vista. And this was during the time that Brian Broderson was in England. Right. And so I reconnected with Rob Salvato, who was then the pastor at Vista. And for the next few years, we're in North San Diego County doing a lot of youth ministry. That's where you and I began to connect with various things that you were doing at the same time. Right. And by early 2000, God had opened the door to come on staff here at Calvary Costa Mesa. And so that actually took place in December of 99, right before Y2K. Right. I got a call from Brian Broderson in England saying, Joey, I'm coming back. And I believe God wants you to be a part of the team. Mm. And unbeknownst to Brian at that time, I was working for Billabong as the team manager for surfing. And God had shown me, do not sign the three-year contract. I'm going to open a door of ministry. Mm. And I just told my boss, the marketing director at Billabong, Graham Stapleberg, that I wasn't going to sign the deal that God was going to open a door for ministry. And the call from Brian came after I resigned my position in paycheck. You're kidding. No, for real, in December 99. And... So that was really cool because at least I knew I could figure something was coming, you know. (laughs) And so that's how the door opened up. December 99, right before Y2K, the door opened up. And I had a vision for the young people of that generation to reach them. Yes. And so Brian came back from England. You came into the picture. Yeah. Uh, Mike Harris was still here. All roads led to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Greg, of course, was doing Monday night at the time. Yeah. And so we all kind of landed here at the same time in early 2000. And that's my ministry history up to the point where worship generation began. Right. Yeah. And I remember, actually, you were the one of the main reasons why I ended up at Costa Mesa, because at the time you were talking with Brian and you're like, you know, the worship leaders leave and looking for a worship leader. And you had suggested, hey, why don't you call Scott? And then he's like, oh, yeah. So I got that infamous call from Brian. Uh, hey, you got pray one too. about it. Yeah. <laughs> the old Brian call. <laughs> That's right. And everything changed. Of course. <laughs> it's so, so cool to see that. And I remember we would come down and, um, you know, come down to the worship generation meetings at the time. I don't know if we were calling it that quite yet. We was, weren't at that point. We did by autumn. Yes. By, it was in October yeah. of 2000 that we began to use the name publicly, officially, Worship Generation. Right. And wasn't it at the, the Fallbrook High School where we were at that Bible study you together? You know your history, Scott. Yeah. That is where the name came to me. You and I were together. Yeah. Uh, Josh Seal was the director of the Christian Club at Fallbrook High School there in North San Diego County. And the year before I'd been there, there was like 35 kids there. It was pretty cool. And Josh had me come back. And you were there and you did worship. And if you recall, there was probably 120 students yeah. in that gathering. Yeah. And when you were leading worship, as all these kids were standing and worshiping and or sitting and worshiping, the, the, the two words came together in my mind, worship generation. Mm-hmm. This is a worshiping generation, worship generation. Yeah. And that's the first time I connected that term. And I, be, I began to use that term from the pulpit yeah. over the next four or five months because right about that time was when Chuck, Pastor Chuck, opened the door for us to come into Thursday night in the sanctuary at Calvary Costa Mesa. And so... Which is a big deal. It was a huge deal. Yeah. And so Jeremy Camp had done a little bit of worship then with us. Josh Ivey mm-hmm. from the area was here doing worship for us. And then you came in. Charlo Broderson came in. Yes. And it began to, it was the early rumblings of what was going to happen. Yeah. was in the summer of 2000. And I was using the phrase. And then, of course, if you know your world history, that's right about the time the Internet started to take off the World Wide Web. Right. And Eric Lamp, who 
is uh, now in eternity. You know, uh, yeah. he came. He was a tech guy from the surf industry, and he was on fire for Jesus. And he came to me and he said, "You know, you need to really secure these donate domain names. You need to." get a worshipgeneration.com.org. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then I'm a baby boomer. And then we watched the Harvest Crusade that year and Greg had all the harvest.org. And I was like, oh my goodness, we got to get, yeah. we got to get, you know, this was just the very beginnings of social media. I mean, <laughs> I mean like Marcus McClure was the first guy I saw the cell phone for Pete's sakes. And yeah. I mean, this was a long time ago. Yes. And so it all happened. Like well, the name came to us. That was in March of 2000 at that Christian club. Yeah. And so by the end of Harvest Crusade in August of that summer, we're like, we need to register the domain name, trademark for music, apparel, whatever. Yeah. My background with, you know, marketing and, and yes. surf industry and stuff. And you were here during that time. We did all that with the help of Greg Morse, yes. the lawyer who was involved here at the time. And then we just decided, let's start calling Thursday night Worship Generation. And I remember yeah. we did two flyers. Yeah. We did a first Thursday in I believe it was October, Jeremy Camp, yeah. and then we did a first Thursday in November, the young gun Phil Wickham. Yes, and that's that's where the name came out, and that's where we began to roll with that name officially, publicly, and so the foundation had been laid for what was going to happen for the next four years.
You're listening to Joey Baran here on Pure Worship Radio, the pastor of Worship Generation. Now, all these names that we, you just mentioned, Jeremy Campfield, welcome. These guys were at the time unknown for the most part. Very, Completely unknown. Very just homegrown, young guys coming up, heart for the Lord. Let's talk about the vision that the Lord gave you for Worship Generation to raise up the next generation of worship leaders, worshipers. Let's talk about where that began. Well, you know, if you go back to God opening the door here at Costa Mesa for me to come on staff and the call coming from England from Brian, hey, I want you to be a part of this team. Remember, previously I'd been a senior pastor twice, Mm -hmm. and I had never felt at any point in time I was called to plant a church in Southern California after we came back from Vermont in the summer of 96. What God had done is open a door to live by faith to guest speak at youth camps, youth Mm -hmm. events, youth outreaches, stuff like that. So I had just come off being a freelance itinerant youth pastor for three plus years while coaching the Billabong surf team and other surf teams. So I had a real keen vision for the youth, both in the church and not in the church at that time. And so when I came to Big Calvary, my passion was to reach this next generation And I knew music was going to be the key. Mm -hmm. And I understood the background of the Jesus movement and the bands and Mustard Seed Faith, those those kind of bands. I I know my Calvary history and my Maranatha music history pretty well. I'm like, well, certainly if God did it before, he could do it again for this generation. And you got to remember, at this time, we're talking Gen X, not millennials. Yeah. You understand the distinction? Gen Xers are, you know, now in their 40s or, you know, late 20s, early 30s. But... The millennials are all the young kids coming now that have just grown up with the iPhone in their hands, right? Okay, right. so different generations. So really, we're talking the back end of how to reach Gen X is what we're talking about. Yeah. So the door opened up, and when I was here in that early spring, the same time we were like at Fallbrook High School and whatnot, we did not have a service in the sanctuary, and Chuck had talked about me coming in and replacing Greg. Yeah. Well, that's not an enviable position whatsoever, right? <laughs> I don't like the way that looks at all. But then Raul had just finished, Raul Reese was here, he just finished a series on Thursday nights, and I woke up one night and the Lord said, I'm going to give you a Thursday night. Yeah. And then I got a call from Brian a week later, and he said, Chuck and I think you should have Thursday nights. That's great. Well, from the time I felt God showed me that and confirmation came, I had this vision because we had CSN radio at the time, over 500 FM frequencies out there coming live on Thursday night from Calvary. I thought... This is a no-brainer because mm-hmm. promotion was my background in the surf industry, action sports industry as well. We're going to bring these bands in here. They're going to go live on K-Wave and CSN, and it's going to open doors to do events. It's going to get these bands exposure, and we're going to take these bands, and we're going to go out and do tours with these bands. Yeah. So I saw the vision in spring and summer of 2000 before it ever really came together. But for example, when I would have Jeremy Camp come out, because he was kind of like you said, almost nobody. He he had, you know, he was cutting his teeth a little bit. He'd had his band Footstool. Right. And then it was Jeremy Camp. You know, he was going through different musicians all the time. Yes. But he was getting a footing on what he was doing. He's becoming much more professional mm-hmm. in his stage presence, the package of his presentation. And without a doubt, you know, if this is a football team, he's your quarterback. Right. So... I realized right away in the summer of 2000, we need to build our vision behind Jeremy Camp. Give him the ball, you know? (laughs) And we began to do that. And I had people say like, do you you really think he's that good? I'm like, yes. And (laughs) and he's gonna take off and we're not even gonna be able to have him in two years from now. I could just, I literally saw where where Jeremy Camp was going. And in fact, one of my famous quotes is someone said, I don't see it. And I remember I said, you will. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they have, you know. And so, uh, but, you know, Charlo was young. Yeah. And the whole Phil Wickham connection, because you're asking, like, how did you see this coming together? Yeah. Well, Jeremy, I knew right away, this is a guy that we can take on the road and we can do shows with. We can yeah. do events with. But Phil Wickham was different because he was just kind of under the radar. At the time, he was actually 15. Yeah. And then he turned 16. And I had different Christian schools ask me to come do chapels or whatever. So I brought Phil. Yeah. And we were at Valley Christian up here in Cerritos uh, early in the school year in 2000. And I'll never forget it. Joe Henschel was playing the Cajon. Okay. Yeah. Joe Henschel was 16. Phil was 16. They're both from Calvary Vista at the time. So they did worship. I taught. And then it was lunchtime. And these kids came up and said during lunchtime, it was in the big main hall there at Valley Christian. They said, hey, look, could you have those guys do some more worship? Like, sure. So then Phil and Joe did an extended worship set during lunchtime. And Scott, it, it was like double what Fallbrook High School was. It was hundreds of students who stopped eating lunch and they're worshiping. I thought, oh, my goodness. Jeremy Camp is a starting quarterback. He's a senior. We've got him for one year. Phil Wickham is the future. This guy's a freshman, yeah. and this guy is our running back for the next four years. If this is a high school football team, I, this is the guy. <laughs> this is the guy. And that same time I began to use him, I brought him into the sanctuary, and Rob Salvato had called me, and he said, Joey, how can you have a six-year-old leading worship? And I said, Rob, he's in your church, and I would ask you, how can you not have him leading worship? And then the yes. rest is history there, too, as well. Yeah. Amazing. And that was one of the most exciting things about Worship Generation was both you and Brian and the leadership of the church were really investing in the next generation of guys. I remember Brian, too, when he would come to the Bible college, he was challenging the guys to, hey, pray about going and starting a church in, in England or, or you know, supporting a ministry in Hungary or something like that. There was that right. investment in the next generation. An and opportunity. That, yes, Yeah, so it was like both both and. You had this great opportunity for these guys to cut their teeth, to grow um, with a lot of support around them, and then identifying giftings. And and you kind of created a culture of of young people that wanted to do the same. They wanted to serve the Lord with their lives, with their gifts. They were inspired by that. For for Mm -hmm. sure, an entire group of thousands and thousands of young people here in Orange County and throughout the United States, specifically the Pacific Northwest, Northern California, Nevada, Idaho, places we went on tour that we really focused on, they were inspired. They were tuning into the radio on their local FM frequencies to hear Phil Wickham, to hear Jeremy Camp, to hear, you yes. know, Scarlet Thread and Tim Chaddock and yeah. and hear the Polanco brothers with Straight and Narrow. They were tuning in. And so when we went to their communities, they were excited. And these kids, these young people were rising up and serving in their churches. It was very contagious. It was yeah. infectious. And again, it was vision. It was exhortation. And it was opportunity. Opportunity, yes. Taking risks on young yeah. guys, giving them a chance to, to grow. Sure. Yeah, it's huge. That was part of the dynamic of Worship Generation that was also very unique. It was also, it was very organic and it was very raw, but right. it was very real. And you could sense the Lord was working. It wasn't like this overly polished, like slick program. It was just the Lord was doing something special and it was neat to see. I would have to agree. And if there was an antithesis or an exact opposite of slick, glossy Christian music, mm-hmm. we were it. Yeah. And be, and in the early goings, we just mind our own business and did yeah. what we were doing kind of under the radar. But as Worship Generation got more traction, more exposure, as Jeremy Camp, you know, 
signed with BEC, won yeah. all those Dove Awards the first year and yes. you know, Grammy nominees, and then the Phil Wickham pipeline. You know, we got a lot more attention, so we began to get music submitted to us from all over the place. And at that time, of course, even modern contemporary Christian music was really blowing up in Nashville. Yeah. Hillsong was blowing up in Australia. So there's a lot of other things going on with music, Christian music specifically at the same time, yeah. that had their own flavors. Yeah. And we just took care of our business. You know, there wasn't a lot of flash with who we were and what we did. Yeah. And at that time, a lot of people felt like, hey, it's a worship experience. We bring the lights, we bring the lava lamp. We do all these things and we create this ambiance where you encounter the Lord and 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 this is how we've packaged it. And, and yeah. you would remember, you were worshiping at the same time. You'd get people all the time like, hey, we bring the worship experience to you. This is how yeah. it works and whatever. We weren't that way at all. I mean, we had people that would ask us, would you come to our church? We're a small church in Reading or something, you know, and uh, would you come and do an event? We want to reach our youth. It's like, yes. And so we put together requests from churches listening to us on the radio, and we put together like four or five of them, and then we'd link them, and then uh, try and fill the gaps and, and call a few churches and see if they're interested in having us come. In many cases, the senior pastors were oblivious to who we were, right? but the youth pastors generally had an idea who we were. Yeah. And you know, it was kind of interesting because when people called us, it's like the prom, you know? It's like you're, you're, be, you're being asked to the prom and you want to go. It's a, it's a mutually uh, reciprocated event. But when I would call people and say like, hey, we're coming through to you, I was like, well, who are you, you know, and why would we have you here? And and so it, it was it was a little awkward because at times people didn't want us. And, and so we're like, that's fine. Yeah. But of course, after Jeremy Camp blew up, everyone that didn't want us was calling us a year later saying, hey, can Jeremy come do our men's retreat? I'd be like, you're joking, right? Because that day came and went. You know, I'm sorry, but you can yeah. call his agency in Nashville yeah. with that area code. And so it was organic and it, 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 it took off quickly. And people that were in tune, yeah. they saw it. And we all rode this wave together for the next three to four years, that particular wave, the way it was. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of spun off in those three or four years. It was very organic to Costa Mesa. And like you were just talking about, you started taking some some road trips, some tours, going traveling up north. And uh, talk about that for a little bit and, and some of right. the fruit that came from that. Well, one of the really cool things about our tours is they weren't, I mean, Jeremy Camp, again, was probably the premier guy the first couple of years. But even so, people didn't know him. Like, we did an event at Six Flags in Vallejo. Yeah. And they just had heard about us, and they want us to bring some bands. There was no difference to them between Jeremy Camp, Joe Henschel, or Bobby Brown, or you. You know, they just... Yeah. And that's what I really liked about Worship Generation. What we developed was a culture. It's not about the individual. It's about... I don't even like to use this term, but we'd say the brand. You know what you're going to get with Worship Generation. Yeah. I used to compare it, if you know sports, to North Carolina basketball when Dean Smith was the coach. Michael Jordan, all those guys, Rick Fox, they all knew how to play really good basketball. And they're all very good NBA players because they were team players. Yeah. And they knew the fundamentals and they knew what they were doing. And so what we did here with Worship Generation is we didn't make it about superstars. It's kind of the classic, there's no I in team. Yeah. It was about we're on it together. And so one night... Someone might headline, the next night they might be the opening worship set. Who had the best voice? Whose voices were holding up yeah. after a week and a half on the road? Yeah. It was never about one person or one band. Yeah. Although the closest thing to that was Jeremy Camp, but that's all right because he has a huge personality, a big right. heart, yes. you know, and so people naturally, yeah. and of course when his wife passed away, people were just so drawn to the story. Yeah. And so you, you, you ride that. That's what God's doing. That's okay. Yeah. But apart from Jeremy Camp, really... 
we never truly had a headliner. It was a, a team element. So as we, when we showed up in these different smaller towns, like uh, Paso Robles and these kind of places that we would go, um, Post Falls, Idaho, you know, I can yeah. just think of so many places and then big cities, Spokane and, and Seattle and stuff. But what people knew, it didn't matter who the opening band was, the middle band or the closing band. They knew that the spirit was going to meet them there, that these were gifted musicians, that they're going to be anointed in the spirit and that they were going to have a supernatural voice and favor of the Lord with those young people and older people are going to be there. And yeah. so the more we went out, the more opportunities opened up because the word spread like, oh, my goodness, you need these guys to come. Yeah. And so when we started doing places a second or a third time, it never I say, hey, we got, you know, we got this new guy, you know, Luke Caldwell and Grand Prize. Like, oh, we don't even care. <laughs> Just bring your team. Yeah. And do what you do. Yeah. And that was the beauty of it. It was really about the Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit, and what people expected from the brand, that it was going to be spiritual, not slick and glossy, not opposed to that if it's spiritual. Yeah. But it was going to be spiritual, very organic, and it was it was the Lord was going to meet people there. And yeah. that that was it was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Uh, so cool. I, I just remember too the um, on the internal side of it, you know, the inner workings of the team. There was always that sense of uh, you were always pushing guys to do new things and encouraging. You had a real um, heart to encourage. So I just felt like you're you're the coach, uh, coaching all these young guys. Hey man, go for it. You know, the Lord's with you and He's going to bless that. And I love your songs and I love what the Lord's doing. You just had that sense about you. Even for myself, you were always doing the same with me. Hey, just go for it. Oh, it's a great song. Or you should do this and. It was so, I think as a worship leader, having that kind of support and that kind of heart behind what was happening was, was huge and is so, so instrumental, I think, in so many um, young people's lives. So the one word that I think about when we talk about worship generation and the work the Lord did through that ministry um, is, is authentic. It felt like, you know, in my experience growing up in church and, and being around Calvary for so many years, it was so, you know, it was so special to, to be around something that you could tell God was at work, uh, both saving and calling. It almost felt even more along the lines of like the Lord was speaking into the next generation and calling young guys out to follow him. And I felt like that was the voice the Lord had given you is this prophetic voice to speak into their lives. Like the Lord wants to use you. He wants to use you in this way. And you need to step up and, and don't be afraid and trust the Lord. And it was like this prophetic ministry the Lord's given you. And it felt very, like we said before, kind of raw and, and, and not polished, but it was very authentic. And it felt very effective in all those lives. You know, I can look back and personally and how it was, the Lord was working in my life. And then all those young guys. Um, let's talk about the prophetic element of the ministry that the Lord gave you. I feel like that's a huge part of your ministry. Well, I appreciate that. And I think so, too. I've always had the gift of like encouragement yeah. and, and exhorting, particularly like, for example, before I was saved, I did don't do drug, you know, assemblies yeah. in schools. You know, I've always had a disposition. I mean, I had to believe I could win the pipeline masters and be a pro surfer in the mid 70s when there weren't even pro surfers. Yeah. I see things ahead. Yeah. So however God wired me, I have weaknesses like everybody. I have strengths like everybody. Yeah. And I can honestly say my entire the main strength I have in my makeup, my DNA, is I see things before they happen. Mm -hmm. I see where things are going before we get there. Yeah. And that has served me very well, both in pro surfing and in ministry. Obviously, the, the, the fit is with the Holy Spirit, a natural gift with a supernatural gift, yeah. and there you have it. Yeah. So 
the years on the East Coast being a pastor of smaller churches and the years of gaining experience in school of hard knocks, those kind of things, is sort of like Isaac and the wells. We dug wells and there was water, but there's maybe contention and strife. There was mm. water, but it wasn't the place. But when Isaac came to the well of spaciousness, it was just a ton of water. Yeah. And God said to him in Genesis that, you know, to be fruitful in the land. And it says there in Genesis that he prospered, he was prosperous, and he prospered in all that he did. It's used three times, the word in one verse in Genesis. Yeah. And I believe that's what happened between 2000 and 2005 with Worship Generation at Calvary Costa Mesa. We just hit water at the right place at the right time. Yeah. I was the right person in the right place at the right time with all the right components yeah. from K-Wave to CSN to Pastor Chuck support. Pastor Chuck uh, loved me and believed in me. Yes. You know, I mean, he did the funeral for our first son. I mean, he dedicated our church in Virginia. Like he, he believed in me. So in the spiritual yeah. legacy, I learned from Chuck to believe in the best and hope for the best in others. Yeah. So I had that DNA and that genealogy from Chuck himself, right. even in the ministry. And of course, Brian Brian always believed in people. He, he was the same way. So I have a yeah. healthy spiritual DNA of seeing the potential in people, plus my disposition in my very makeup of who I am. Yeah. So when I got here, it was the perfect fit. So maybe it's like a Disney movie where I just saw angels in the outfield, you know, <laughs> but I look at anybody and believe the potential yeah. of what God had for him. So when Josh Seal would come to me and say, I believe I'm called to learn Arabic, and I'd say, of course you're called to learn Arabic, because what, you know, what white middle-class kid from Fallbrook is going to wake <laughs> up and think he's called to speak Arabic unless God supernaturally put it on his heart? And that's just being organic right so there. True, yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah. You would never think that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what does Josh Seal do now? He speaks Arabic, okay? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. when the Filipino janitor comes to me from Los Angeles and he says, I believe God's calling me to go back to the Philippines and maximum security prison, this is Lido, and preach the gospel to the most vicious criminals in all the Philippines. I'm like, of course he is, because you would never think that. <laughs> that's right. You got to go. Yeah. And he did. And he planted a church. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, so recognizing the potential in people and then recognizing God's calling in people, yeah. that's the key. Yes. And then if you have the vehicle by which to facilitate it, of course you want to do that. That's right. And this sanctuary, 3800 South Fairview Avenue, is Yankee Stadium, Yeah. Dodger Stadium. We have the vehicle. And it was we were in the right place at the right time with the right people with the right hearts with the right gifts i mean it was pay dirt yeah we were we you know if it was a high school football team we we were big time cif four years in a row i mean it just it was just a great run yeah and like anything else it, it had an ebb and a flow it it had different dimensions and once we moved to monday night after greg was gone we took on a different look yes and we had some great people some great bands but, you know, it was time for Tim Chaddock to go be Reality L.A. It was time for different things to move. Calvary Costa Mesa was moving into a different season. Mm -hmm. And I was moving into a different season. My calling was moving into a different season. So what you really had is, it's like if I was a 25-year career baseball player, man, we had like a, a five-year run with a certain team that was amazing. Yeah. And you look back and you say it was just incredible. And it was my gifts prophetically my gifts exhortatively, 
and the right people with the right location, with the right support base, that man, it was just amazing. It was supernatural. It was organic. Yeah. It was raw. You have all the right descriptives yeah. there. The adjectives are proper in there. Yeah. It was that. But it did it did have a zenith and a peak, and yeah. it did kind of begin to go in an afterglow mode. And I recognize that that, that run, yeah. it, you know, it's like a fruit tree. Fruit trees have a life cycle. Yeah. And it was starting to go on the downward cycle of the fruit. And yet, a totally separate ministry. I mean, we have to acknowledge that when Garrett Beeler came in, yeah. when Garrett Beeler came in with the house, it was more people than ever before, but it was a different kind of ministry. Yeah. He, that ministry would not have the same national global impact of worship generation. The radio dynamics changed. A lot changed. But here at this church, what Garrett Beeler did and who he was for the next seven years with the house, it's another legacy of fruit in a different time in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, the Lord at work in different seasons. It's special to see that. Yeah. Let's talk about today, what the Lord's doing with you today. You've been pastoring now Worship Generation here in Fountain Valley. Right. And um, you've been pastoring that church now for how many years? Almost 10 years. 10 years? Yes. So, well, you know, when we were here and we were in our fifth year, I believe that, you know, God was saying now is the time for you to plant a church to disciple and raise up and 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 do a fresh work and in all the orange county communities fountain valley was the one without a calvary chapel pretty yeah. much and so it was like well that's the field that's not being plowed yeah so like paul want to take the gospel somewhere where it's not yeah and so god opened up that door we ended up at shoreline baptist church there which is a really neat story because we were directed there by the someone in the government at the city of Fountain Valley. <laughs> I walked in to get a permit to be at New Hope Gymnastics with B. Toma. And the guy in Fountain Valley goes, oh my goodness, I've got good news and bad news. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, well, the bad news is there's no way in the world you can be a church by Lost Cab in that area because it's not zoned to be a church. You just can't be a church. I'm like, well, what's the good news? He goes, dude, you're my hero, man. You're Joey Moran, <laughs> 83 OP Pro. I was cheering for you. Hey, I know what you need to do. He goes, sign this autograph for me and then go down there to Shoreline Baptist because they're zoned to be a church and they let other people use their facility. I bet they'll let you use it. Wow, that's awesome. And Greg Morse was with me. It's one of those days I'm like, wow. So we went down to Shoreline and Larry Noya was the associate pastor whose son, Jamie Noya, was a Calvary Chapel youth pastor at that time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, Larry was kind of reading me like a book. You know, I'm like, well, you know, we need a place maybe for the summer, three months in the sanctuary. And he let us in. And I thought we'd be there three months. And we've been there nine, almost nine and a half years. And we, I will have taught through the Bible by June of 2015. Uh, it'll wow. be a 10-year run in the classic Calvary model of teaching from Genesis to Revelation. I didn't go in that order, but yes. I will have taught every book of the Bible by the time June of 2015 comes around. Wow. And we, we've planted two churches. Hector, who is original WG guy, came forward on Monday night. Yes, Hector is uh, pastoring Vision Church of Long Beach, so that was a big deal to have Hector come and serve with us. He was with Tim Chaddock for two years at Reality, yeah. and then he came down and joined us for six years, and then he went out and planted a church. Brian Jameson was... Uh, here with the Bible College, front office phones, came in the last year of WG here at Costa Mesa, five years at Shoreline, planted OCCF. And so we've planted two churches, yeah. and I've taught through the Bible in 10 years, and it's been an amazing run. It's been awesome, and I've watched the generation grow up because I was always on the move, so you stay somewhere 10 years, 
Yeah. You know, 10 years is like from first grade to high school, right? right. So yeah. watching a generation grow up and it's been a neat season in my life. It's been a great experience. And we've been very, very active in missions throughout that time. And uh, for example, like when Sarah Yardley was here and all those teams were going down to South America, we, we, we were supportive of those things. We've been supportive of a lot of the Calvary Costa Mesa missionaries. Yeah, We have kind of, we've done a lot still organic, still raw. Yep. Like we don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing a lot because we want our fruit in eternity, yeah. not in time. Yeah. We want fruit in time, but we want eternal fruit. So a lot of what WG does is pretty unassuming. You know, we're still a church of a couple hundred people. Yeah. We have, you know, the local and national radio broadcast still once a week. And, you know, we just kind of mind our own business. We're 2.1 miles as the seagull flies yeah. from the big house here. <laughs> And we just mind our own business, and we've always had favor with Chuck and Brian. And my wife, of course, has served here at the, the school, Calvary Schools, for the entire time. And so because we do our services on Tuesday and Saturday, I'm able to come to church on Wednesday yeah. and Sunday here at Costa Mesa. Yeah. And uh, so it's inevitable. I'll be walking up to service, and someone will say, I was just listening to you in the car. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we do that Saturday night. And yeah. so it's just been a wonderful time in my life and 26 years of ministry mm. and it's just it's always yeah. changing and growing and so that's where we've been at since we left and of course we have had involvement with a lot of musicians still yeah you know joe Tata led worship for us for years and then he was called the pastor of pomona valley yeah joe henschel was with us for years and he's still very involved at calvary vista uh, bobby brown still is involved with us mm -hmm. so that that family of that genealogy tree from original worship generation, it's still in place. Luke Caldwell comes through with Esterlin all the time. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, we're the only Tuesday night gig you can get in the OC. <laughs> so we, we've got a built-in uh, uh, benefit. And it's just it just keeps rolling. And young people like your daughter, Madison, I mean, first time I heard her a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, this is it. She's 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 there's no ceiling for her calling. Yeah. And so, as you know, we've used Madison since she was 15 to lead worship. Yeah. And Jack McEwen is similar. I mean, Jack is 18 now, but you know, he was the first 16-year-old I had leading worship in years, but Madison and Jack separately. Yeah. So we're still still using still the youth, up. still raising <laughs> them up. I mean, we invested in Madison's CD project this summer. Yes. We're still doing it. It's not as uh, out there and obvious as yeah. it was during that run here yes. at Big Calvary 10 years ago. But we're still plowing fields and bearing fruit yeah. in different ways. Yeah, one of those fields uh, let's talk about would be Chile. Um, you've right. been doing a bunch of missions to Chile, coaching the Chilean surf team. Right. Uh, yeah. And you've been learning Spanish. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, this is an important principle. We always, we don't want to live in the past. It's yeah. great to talk about the past and, and learn from it mm. and marvel at the fruit and say, great, but I don't want my best years to be 2000 to 2005. I want my best year to be 2014 going into 15 yeah. at this point. Yeah. And it may not look like the past or be as upfront, if you will, but fruit isn't measurable truly in time right. at all. It's meant to be eternal for the day of Christ Jesus. So I'm always open to, I want to be open, not always open. We need to be chastened to be open. <laughs> we want to be open if we confess Christ to new seasons and new adventures in life, because it's about being transformed from glory to glory, becoming more Christ-like. So therefore, Chuck used to say the difference between a rut and a grave is only width and depth. And 
we are prone toward a rut. We are prone toward security. We are prone toward comfort, yeah. not adventures, insecurity, and out of our comfort zone. So we can choose to step out in faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we can choose to be open to steps of faith and step out in faith, or we can be chastened and have it forced upon us. Yeah. So I've learned in 27 years of serving Jesus, I would just as soon choose faith than have it forced upon me. <laughs> And so that's why you have good devotion. So you can hear the Lord say, learn Arabic or go to the Philippines. Yeah. So you can, and you don't want to miss it anyways. It's a, it's not a have to to serve the Lord, it's a get to. It's a blessing. Yeah. And you had the learn Spanish voice of right. the Lord. Well, and right. that was years before yes. anything happened it, with Well, Julie. it's amazing. And see, that's when you know it's the Lord. Okay. So I took a Spanish class, sophomore year of high school in Carlsbad High School, and I dropped out of it. Okay. Yeah. So that's all I could count to 10. <laughs> you know, Feliz Navidad. It's a song that, you know, you hear at Christmas time. So what happened for me is what I like to do the last week of every year is take inventory. Because, mm -hmm. for example, when I worked at Billabong, twice a year they close down the factory and they take inventory of every keychain, every every promotional material, every T-shirt. It's, it's inventory. So I'm like, well, if they do that for things that are temporal, I ought to do that for things that are eternal. Mm -hmm. So I take inventory at the end of every year with the Lord. And... I'm like, okay, Lord, we don't want to presume the future for what the past was. So what are you, what do you want to do? And so it was in 09 that the Lord spoke to me. The thought came to my mind, learn Spanish. Uh, well, that, that's just a silly thought from what I ate for breakfast, because <laughs> why would I ever learn Spanish? All right. Yeah. You know, and then a year later, same time of year. Okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the thought came to my mind again, learn Spanish. I'm like, okay, well, now this this has got to be the Lord. Mm. And so that began a journey. And then right after that was when the, the huge earthquakes happened with the tsunami in Chile. That was 2000. And I was like, Lord, you want me to go to Chile? And I was like, no, not, you will, but not now. And so it's been a process of the Lord just taking me forward in that. And I have self-educated myself in Spanish for the last four years yeah. and then God opened doors. We did my movie in Spanish wow. and God has opened doors to Latin America. And of course, if you haven't noticed in the last five years, Spanish is now the, the number two language, not only in our country, but in the world. Yeah. It's where the planet is going. And so I've been telling people for five years, if you want a middle management job in Southern California, you need to learn Spanish. It's yeah. that simple. Yeah, yeah. And it's like if you want a good job in Europe, you need to speak English, French, maybe German, you know, Italian, depending on what you want. So I'm like, you need to understand, it's kind of like when young people are falling in love. You're not going to stop the river. You just want to redirect the river in the course you want it to take. Right. And you're not going to change that we're a bilingual nation. So people are really stubborn, like, hey, learn English. You're just, you're just going to go to your grave, you know, like stubborn. Yeah. I mean, we are a bilingual society. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, just go to Kaiser right here. What do you see? You see three languages when you walk in the door. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we need to understand we're a pluralistic society. And the Lord just showed me like five years ago, learn Spanish. Yeah. And now it benefits me Yeah. because I, I get it. I watch Spanish TV. I listen to Spanish radio. And now the Lord has opened the door. Well, he, he called me to Chile. I know he said Chile, which is random because I've never thought about It has great waves. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the best ways in the world are in Chile, but I've never thought about going to Chile. And then I've had people like Raul Reed say like, you know, Joey, you need to think like all Latin America. You need to think yeah. Colombia. Come with me to Colombia, <laughs> you know, where the, the rebels burned down my church. I'm like, y you go to Colombia and, <laughs> you know, talk to the, the rebels. You know, like I'm not called, you know, like I've had these conversations. But in the end, the last two years, God says, now the time now is the time to go to Chile. And, and so he's opened a door and then 
because I'd been the coach of the U.S. surf team, it just be God naturally opened a door to be the coach of the Chilean team. Yeah. So now I have a huge vestige in Chile. I've been to Chile a number of times in the last two years. It's first world. Uh, it's the strongest economy in South America. It's amazing people. A lot of Europeans, a lot of European descent there. Yeah. You've been to Europe when you're in, when you're in Santiago or you're on the coast of Chile, Iquique, Antofagasta, Vina de Mar, La Pariso, these places, uh, Port Mont, you just, you would think you're in Europe. Yeah. Very European architect, like Buenos Aires, stuff like that. But what's also interesting about Chile, it's it's strongest for the Calvary chapels. There's nine of them. Wow. And there's a Bible college in Santiago, Ricky and Myra. Uh, run that on behalf of Pastor Raw under Golden Springs. And there's a there's an open door for the Calvary Chapel movement. And I believe that the next 20 years, just as God used Brian in the early 90s to open up Europe to Cal the Calvary Chapel movement, and not that our identity is Calvary Chapel, but, you know, healthy churches. Yeah. I believe there's an open door in South America and all Latin America for the type of church that a Calvary Chapel church plant looks like. Yeah. And I have this unique ministry yet again where I've grown in my understanding and speaking of Spanish. I have many friends in Chile that are Christians and non-Christians. I am involved with the best surfers in Chile, professional and amateur. I know my way around Chile really well. And they're a bilingual society because Spanish is number one. But anyone that's being educated in Chile, which is just about everybody, English is number two. Yeah. So uh, you don't need to learn Spanish to get around in, in Chile. But if I'm going to reach communities, the villages and stuff like that, yeah. there's kids on my team that don't speak one word of English. There's kids on my team that speak excellent English. Yeah. But if I'm going to communicate with Hugo Garado, I need to speak Spanish. Yeah. And that's, it's that simple. And not just service conversation, but to become friends and being able to actually bring the gospel into it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a surf coach, yes, but that's all things to all men. Yeah. We're wanting to bring you to Christ and, you know, faith in Jesucristo, okay? Yeah. And so that's a process. Yes. So I've been motivated for four or five years to learn Spanish for the gospel's sake. Uh, and it's not come naturally and it's not come easy. Someone like Sarah Yardley, they're brilliant. They get it. Yeah. yeah I, it's not fair. But see, surfing is hard for you. It's easy for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, and it's been hard for me, but it's forced me to press into the Lord. And I've been discouraged at times and the Lord refuses to let me be discouraged. Yeah. And even now I've just have found a whole nother gear where it's right there. Wow. And so I've done the youth conference two years in a row for Calvary Chapel in Santiago. And it's a gauge of where my Spanish is at. And I have every intention in Julio este año uh, to 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 teach in Spanish, you know, Amen. the entire yeah. study. So Incredible. I read my Bible in Spanish. I pray in Spanish, and I'm trying to improve in conversation. So pray for me, because it's hearing it conversationally that's the biggest challenge. You know, all the yeah. variations of conjugations, and as you know, I'm half deaf in my right ear, anyways. So you're surfing. I, I'm grabbing words. <laughs> I'm just grabbing words and trying to throw them together really quick. <laughs> but that's and again, I'm 53. So, God, what do you want to do? You're not done with me. Yeah, because Phil Pachonis, Jay Adams and Sonny Miller were all my age in the last four months. They're all my friends and they're with they're in eternity. Yeah. And I'm not. And I'm an empty nester in nine months when Luke graduates Calvary Chapel. He's a senior. So now it's like, OK, Lord, I have maybe another, you know, 15 year window. Mm -hmm. to do something special. And what have I not done? Yeah. I've not been bilingual. 
I've not been a foreign missionary. Hmm. Uh, there's things I've not done. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what I was saying. We're being transformed from glory to glory. And whether we have few years or many years, it's the quality. And we want to keep letting God work because what he's doing in time, this is all preseason. Eternity hmm. is the game. Yeah. Life is preseason. So it's Christ working in us to transform us, to prepare us for what he has for us in eternity. Amen. So it's always a lesson. Planting a church in the Bible Belt in the 90s with a couple of kids, young kids, a lesson. New England, it's a lesson. WG, Big Calvary, five years under Pastor Chuck, it's a lesson. Ten years, Shoreline, it's a lesson. Yeah. So I don't know what God has, but I don't want to miss it. Amen. I love the way the Lord's wired you, just how you can communicate that way and, and think in those big terms. I know for myself, it's always inspired me to just hear you speak because it makes me think in those same you know, the same that same way, I think, in long term and, and vision. And thank you. Joey, thank you so much for being a part of uh, the program today. Just such a rich time, such I great insight, it. and so fun to recount the faithfulness of God, you know? It, and that's not, Scott, that's a great summary of it, because it's recounting the faithfulness of God, and I would add something to that. Hmm. And the obedience of people who are willing to trust Him. Mm-hmm. Because the greatest legacy of worship generation is not what God did, 10 to 15 years ago is what God is still doing in the people who made themselves available to him at that time mm-hmm. and the fruit they're producing right now from the Rachel Yardleys in Jordan to the Sarah Yardleys in England to the ends of the earth. Yes. Some we see like Tim Chaddock reality, you hear school of worship, but so much we don't see. So it is a testimony of the faithfulness of God, but it's also a wonderful tribute to the obedience of his saints. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joey. Great to have you, man. Awesome. God bless you. Pray the Lord continues to bless Thank and you. use you and this is the years to come. And inspiring to hear that that perspective. I think for all of us, uh, we want to we want to maintain that perspective of eternity and really get after it, whatever God's called us to do, and, and not get discouraged, not get sidetracked, but but see these years as opportunity ahead for the Lord to use us. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And thank you for joining us today here on Pure Worship Radio. We're so glad you joined us. We hope you were greatly encouraged by our time spent together. May God continue to bless and keep you as you live your life of worship, responding to the grace of God.